What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. New logo, in case you didn't notice, thought I'd uh, give a little bit of an update of uh, of the logo of your favorite little uh, sports talk podcast. Hope you guys like it. Feel free to let me know on Twitter at the J Shield what you think of the new logo of the Amatelica TIS podcast here, midweek edition here on a Wednesday. Um, couldn't get around to find time to record with it being Mother's Day weekend and everybody else. And for those, uh, I'm, you know, for those of you who are mothers that listen to this show, I hope you all had a uh, had a good Mother's Day, all things being considered, as we enter about what about two months since we've been locked inside with this uh, with this dopey coronavirus shut-in uh, process with this pandemic. But I uh, hope you all are doing well and are staying safe. And uh, let's talk about some National Football League items to get to. And the last dance, of course, episodes. Uh, let's see, episodes. Five, six, seven, and eight. Got four episodes that I'm going to touch on here in this episode of your favorite uh, sports talk uh, podcast. But first things first, you start with the NFL. And last Monday, it's been a while since we uh, last chatted, but last Monday, um, a bit of sad news uh, as far as the National Football League is concerned that uh, NFL, that legendary uh NFL head coach Don Shula passed away on um, passed away on uh, on uh, last Monday, May the fourth. Um, of course, he was born January fourth, nineteen thirty, in Grand River, Ohio. Of course, he got his uh, he as a player he played for the Browns, Colts, and Redskins. Played for the Browns fifty one in nineteen fifty two. With the Colts from 1953-1956, Redskins 1957, he coached in college at Virginia and Kentucky defensive backs coach. The Detroit Lions gave him his first gig in the NFL as a defensive backs coach in 1960, and he is from 61 to 62 is the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. And his first big break as an NFL head coach was with the Baltimore Colts in the uh, in the early to late 1960s as he was their head coach from 1963 to 1969 and uh, was a head coach for the Buffalo not the Buffalo Bills the Miami Dolphins from 1970 to 1995 two-time Super Bowl champion won Super Bowl 7 and Super Bowl Eight, of course, the undefeated, only uh, perfect team in NFL history, the '72 Dolphins, uh, won an NFL championship with the, you know as a head coach for the Baltimore Colts in 1968. Four-time NFL Coach of the Year, 1964, 1967, 1968, 1972. Uh, was named on the NFL 100 anniversary all-time team for head coaches. Um, has a few NFL records, most regular season wins as an NFL head coach. Don Shula's number one total wins as NFL head coach with 347. And the only undefeated season in NFL history, of course, being the head coach of the 72 Miami 
Dolphins. Coached a long time coach that, you know, I mean, when you, when you think about it, he coached, he went, I mean, when you coach Johnny Unitas and uh, Dan Marino as quarterbacks, that A, winning is going to be expected for one, and B, that's one, that's one hell of a career for to be an NFL head coach, having to coach Unitas and um and Dan Marino in your career. I mean, that's pretty damn impressive. Also, can, also what's also impressive is the fact that he was the Miami Dolphins coach from the 70s to the mid-90s, which is something that uh is uh, to be celebrated, something that's, you know, that's been uh that should be um commemorated that Don Shula, the greatest coach and provided the best years of the Miami Dolphins franchise. Um, I believe he only had two losing seasons. Let me look that up with the Dolphins. But um, but he was a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous coach. Um, let's see. And the Dolphins haven't been the same since. I mean, it's been 25 years since Don Shula uh, was the uh, head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And outside of a couple of playoff appearances here and there along the way, the Dolphins have really haven't recovered since the uh since Marino hung it up. I believe in nineteen ninety nine is when Marino hung it up. And um and uh when Don Shula uh st- you know, stepped down from being the coach in nineteen ninety five. It's been twenty five years and the Dolphins as a franchise have not been the same since. Let me look up that Marino right quick just to make sure I'm right and I'm accurate. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine he hung it up with uh with the um Miami Dolphins. But back to Shula. Uh let's see with uh win loss record. Okay. Seventy, ten and four, seventy one, ten and three, seventy two, fourteen and zero, seventy three, twelve and two, uh seventy six, he went six and eight. So that's one losing season. Um Let's see, and nineteen eighty eight. So nineteen, so nineteen eighty eight, he went six and ten, and in nineteen seventy six, he went six and eight. So only two losing seasons, and he was a head coach for the Miami Dolphins from nineteen seventy to nineteen ninety five. He only had two losing seasons, one in the mid seventies and one in the late eighties. That's that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, as far as what he did with the Dolphins, he took them. To, they lost to the Raiders in the seventy divisional playoff game. Lost to the Cowboys in Super Bowl, uh, in Super Bowl six. Back to back Super Bowl champions, including the undefeated season in seventy two and won it again in seventy three. Uh, lost to the Raiders in the divisional game in seventy four. Had the you know had went had the six and eight season in seventy six and from seventy five to seventy eight didn't make the playoffs. Lost to the Oilers in a wild card game in seventy eight. Um, lost to the Steelers in a divisional game during their Super Bowl run in 1979. Of course, lost to the Chargers in an 81 divisional game known as the Epic in Miami, where it was about a where the heat index was about 100 degrees. Players falling out, dropping dropping like flies with cramps and injuries all over the and dehydration all over the place. And Kellen Winslow had one of the most spectacular playoff performances you can ever have as an NFL tight end. Is this that famous uh, picture of him being carried off by his two teammates at the end of the game? And the Chargers went, you know, basically from the uh, from the from the uh, 
exhaust the uh, well, let me see if I can think of the word the exhaustiating heat, I don't know if that's a word but I'm gonna use it anyway the exhaustiating heat of Miami to the basically the meat locker frigid Cincinnati um, in an 81 championship game known as the freezer bowl where I believe the wind chill was like 52 below if I'm not mistaken um, and then missed the playoffs in 1980 went 8-8 eight and eight, lost to the uh, okay I already went over that 1982 lost to the Redskins in Super Bowl uh, 17 lost to the Seahawks in the AFC Divisional game lost to the 49ers and Dan Marino's only uh, Super Bowl appearance in the Super Bowl 19, and then lost to the Patriots the next year in the AFC Championship game, and of course that was the year where they also knocked off the uh, the the uh, Bears on Monday Night Football. So uh, you know to keep themselves being the only uh, perfect team in uh, NFL history with the 72 team. Missed the playoffs from 86 to 89. Lost to the Bills in the divisional game 1990 when the Bills went on to win the Super Bowl. Lost to the, or not win the Super Bowl, but go to the Super Bowl. Lost to the Bills in 92, and the Bills went to the Super Bowl that year as well. That time was in the AFC Championship game, the loss to the Bills. Went 9-7, missed the playoffs in 93, 94, lost to the Chargers in the divisional game. Chargers went on to go to the Super Bowl in 1994, 1995, third in the AFC East, but lost to the Bills in an AFC wild card playoff game. So, rest in peace, Don Shula. We get that out the way. That is item number one. Item number two here on this uh, midweek show uh, is Earl Thomas. Or, no, excuse me, not Earl Thomas. We'll get to him in a minute. But is uh, Andy Dalton. Yep, that Andy Dalton that I sat right here in this chair and screamed and yelled to the cows came home back in the fall about, you know, how he was stonking how his days were over, need to get rid of him, yada, 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 this, that, and the other. Well, that Andy Dalton ended up get, being cut by the Cincinnati Bengals a few weeks ago, only to get picked up a few days later by uh, the Dallas Cowboys in a, in a puzzling move, in my opinion, considering the fact that they that they drafted that they uh, drafted uh, CD Lamb in uh, what is it, it CD Lamb, right? Yeah, CD Lamb in the NFL draft. They drafted him, and then they gave Amari Cooper that. Um, they gave Amari Cooper a hundred million dollars, which I don't like. Um, and then they also extended Zeke, uh, last summer. So they basically gave Dak all the pieces around him that helped to help Dak succeed. Yet Dak is still without, uh, is still without a, uh, a contract extension. Now, granted, I, here's, here's a two, before I get to Andy specifically, this is my thoughts on this. The quarterback position is a valuable position. You can't win without having a, a decent quarterback to go out there and win football games. So the quarterback position is valuable, and it's the most important position in the sport. And you should pay it. And, you, and at times, I understand you kind of have to you have to pay the position what the position is worth, not necessarily the player himself. So I understand all that where Jerry Jones is coming from. At the same time, you can't sit up here and sign it, Dalton. Okay. Granted, Dak Prescott is no is not is not worth a hundred and fifty million dollars. And granted, Dak Prescott is not the top five uh is not a top five quarterback in the National Football League by any stretch of the imagination. I don't care what Jacob says. I'm right on that. He's not top five, and he isn't worth and he isn't basically worth 
Jared Goff money, and Jared Goff isn't even worth Jared Goff money. But let's be fair, Jared. You can't go out there and sign Andy Dalton, who has never won a playoff game in his life, Mr. Regular Season, who at times can be very erratic with turning over the football. You can't sign him, a quarterback who's in his who's in his early 30s, that, you know, that's, uh, that's no stranger to starting in the NFL and is a competent starter if you need him to, if you need him to be your quarterback. But, but you can't expect, I know it's a one-year deal, but it's not a good optic to bring Andy Dalton in there, who's from Texas, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to go there, who's, you know, who has playoff experience and has experience of getting and leading teams to winning divisions and going to the playoffs. It's just not a good look to sign him, and you got your guy, Beck Prescott, who remains unsigned, and you drafted a wide receiver in Lamb, you signed Amari Cooper, and you extended Zeke uh, the previous offseason. It's it's just not a good look under any circumstances. It's just it's just not a good look. It it just isn't. I mean, I I, I understand, and the Cowboys give you their reasons behind it and, and everything else and this that and the other. But I just I just don't like the signing under any. I just don't like the signing. I just don't. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, and I could see if Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott is not an injury-prone quarterback, so I could understand if they wanted to, uh, to sign a competent quarterback that you know, you know, as a backup because your starting quarterback, you know, is is injury-prone. I I can see that and I can understand that, but Dak Prescott is not an injury-prone quarterback. I, if I mean, if I excuse me and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. But I don't think that Dak Prescott has missed a start in his entire NFL career. And the the, the guy is not injury prone. He he, he is a he's dur- he's a durable quarterback. I give him that. And just signing Andy Dalton, I I I just don't like that. To be quite honest with you, I just I I don't like that. But I mean, hey, the the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, what 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 can you do? Um. Lastly, Earl Thomas, then we'll get to a break and uh, get to the last dance and get on to some other things. NFL schedule was released, so I'll get to that after I head up the last dance next segment. Um, Earl Thomas, okay. Earl Thomas, apparently, back in April, so this is going on a month ago, Earl Thomas, safety for the Baltimore Ravens, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, was held at gunpoint by his wife, Nina Thomas, for essentially him and his brother basically having a threesome with with a couple other women. Okay? This is on April 13th. All right, courtesy of TMZ Sports, this is where I'm reading from. The Austin Police Department responded to a home in Austin, Texas at 3.41 a.m. after getting a call from the disturbance, about a disturbance, excuse me. When cops arrived, they observed that a black woman wearing an orange sweater with a knife in her hand, Nina Thomas's wife, was chasing a shirtless black man, Earl Thomas, with a pistol in his hand around a vehicle. Cops drew weapons and ordered Nina and Earl to the ground, and they complied without incident. But, but when the investigation began, things got wild. Nina's story 
is that she claims that Earl Thomas left their home earlier that day after an argument over Earl Thomas essentially drinking, um, and Earl's brother Seth picked them up. And Nina decided to log into Earl's Snapchat account, which I got so many things on that just right there then alone. Okay, first off, you know, I, I, I bended and I bended by getting myself Twitter. And the only reason why I got the Twitter account was for this dopey podcast that 15 of you all listen to. So that, that's as far as social media as I'm getting. My mother was telling me on Mother's Day, well, you should get with the social media stuff and, you know, get a Snapchat and get Instagram and all that other garbage. I said, Ma, I, I, here's my rule when it comes to social media with that. You either got to be a celebrity related to us, an immediate relative of a celebrity, or you got to be a hell of an interesting person or you just got to be rich. Okay, I'm not rich. I'm not that interesting, all things being considered. I'm not a celebrity, and I'm not an immediate relative of anyone in my family who's a celebrity. And Snapchat's stupid. I don't know how to work the dopey app, you know, taking videos and putting the filters on and, and putting the type on the, on the videos and, and, and my Snap and work the, work the DMs. The whole damn app is confusing as hell. Not the and, and and Instagram a at least in my opinion I don't have a very photo, photogenic face. Maybe by the time I reach my adulthood I'll be you know People Magazine sexiest man alive. But at age seventeen going on eighteen I'm not exactly the most photo, photogenic person in the world. I mean I got I got great jet black hair and I'm and I'm six foot two six foot three. It begins and it ends there. Okay and I and I got nice skin. That's it. It begins and ends there. So I'm not getting the Instagram again. But why in the world would you have your Snapchat password available for your wife to log into? That's your account and that's with your personal stuff and your personal information. Get the, get the hell out of my Snapchat. Earl Thomas, keep your passwords to yourself. That's another one. Let us continue. Uh, Snapchat account check is a location to a nearby Airbnb rental home that she called up two other women uh, to confront Earl at the uh, at the house. Grabbed Earl Thomas's pistol, a 9mm Beretta, in the process with the intention to quote-unquote scare him. When the women arrived at the house, they discovered Earl and Seth naked in the bed with other women. Okay. Listen, I love my brother. Okay? He turned... 16 years old last Tuesday, I love him, okay, he's my blood, he's my brother, you know, first friend, I always tell him he's my first friend, consider him a best friend of mine, you know, I'd, I'd do anything to protect him, I'd come to his defense in a, in a heartbeat, you know, in a public setting, whatever, you know, give him a show off my back, I, 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 I love my brother, okay, and I'd, I'd hate to see anything that happened to him, and I hope he, you know, he stays around with me and we grow old together and and we die at around the same time because I wouldn't want to live in a world where I don't have my younger brother in. I love him. But at the same time, I do not love my brother that much that I want to essentially have a threesome or a foursome or practically a damn orgy with him in an Airbnb with other women. Okay, I love my brother and I'm close with him, but I ain't that damn close with him. There are just some things that you just don't do. And having an orgy or threesome with other girls 
with my brother being in the mix, I'm not doing under any circumstances. And this is not about this is not about an issue of being. It's not about an issue of 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 you know of of anything. You know, well, you're saying that because because what are you against gay people? No, it has nothing to do about gay homophobic stuff. Not that has nothing to do with it. Just like I wouldn't want to essentially have a you know sleep with the woman and then have my and then have my sister join in with the woman there are just some things you just don't do and having sexual relations with other people with your blood siblings in the bed and in the mix in that scenario is crossing the line and you should never ever 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 do i don't give a damn if you're straight gay or bi you don't you don't freaking do it okay so why earl Dom, him and his brother that that's sick and that's a little disturbing. If 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 I might add, let us continue. Um, when Nina missed, she pulled out the gun and put it to Earl's head. Took out the mag and saying that she took out the magazine, thinking that the gun could not fire. Um, she put cell phone. Uh, cops say woman in the house took a cell phone video of the incident. Gun less than a foot of Earl's head. Yada yada yada. You get the idea. She was arrested and 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 uh, and booked. Earl was not arrested. Okay, let me get this straight. Uh, Earl Thomas now. Earl Thomas, who, granted, is a Super Bowl winning safety with the Seattle Seahawks. Who is a who is a pro? Excuse me. Who is a Pro Bowler? And his birthday was just a couple of days ago, May the seventh, turned thirty-one years of age. But that's not a hero there. As a seven-time Pro Bowler, didn't deserve to essentially join his teammates in Orlando back in January because he did not have a Pro Bowl season under any circumstance. I mean, how in the world does Earl Thomas get na- get uh, get named to a Pro Bowl after he he spit up the joint? Who stunk? Stunk with the Ravens. His better days are in Seattle. I'm sorry. Uh, when I think when I think of your uh, best players on the on the uh, on the Baltimore Ravens outside of Lamar Jackson, Earl Thomas has not come to mind. I'm sorry, but I mean I mean let let's be fair, okay? The guy essentially I mean the guy had two interceptions all season long. Okay, two. Two. The Ravens weren't happy because he, because the guy didn't know defensive schemes would clash with his teammates. Uh, I mean, come I me. Mean, the guy was a was a complete mess. I mean, do, do I have to do I have to go back and look and have tell you guys to look up the video of Derrick Henry's run where he essentially shoved Earl Thomas up the way like a sack of potatoes and then basically as if he was a marionette doll turned him around and said here you lead block my teammate you lead block your teammates for me so I can go down the field and score this touchdown he 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 was awful in the playoff game, and was not one of the best defensive players on their roster in 2019. His best days are 3,000 miles away with C- with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and Seattle Seahawks. He did not have a very good season with the Baltimore Ravens. Did not. And I don't know why the Ravens paid him. I can I can look up um I can look up his uh 
his uh, contract if you want me to. Four-year, $55 million with $32 million guaranteed. Really? You're gonna pay a guy that is in that's you know not, that's knocking on thirty. He's thirty one, but you know who was who was thirty years old at the time. Busted up his Achilles or whatever it was, and his last remaining images as a Seattle Seahawk is him is him getting on the John Deere uh, tractor thing, and looking looking at his head coach, the guy who's in authority, the guy that that helped coach him and put him in a position. So at one point he was one of the top. He's one of the top uh, uh, secondary, you know, one of the top uh, secondary players in all of football a few years ago. Who coached in the back-to-back Super Bowl appearances and a Super Bowl championship? Look, looks at Pete Carroll, and and tells him he's number one. Really? You you flip your coach off after after you hurt yourself in front of. Millions on television and seventy plus thousand in the, in the stadium, and I got and I got Earl Thomas essentially cheating on his wife, running a train with his brother in in the bed in an Airbnb somewhere, really. And the Ravens are saying they're threatened to cut him, even though he did nothing wrong. Well, if I'm the Ravens, honest to God, I don't blame him, because. For one, the Ravens learned their lesson with Ray Rice. They look like a horse's ass with that entire scenario. Two game suspension, yada yada yada. So they don't want to, and not to mention, this is the same franchise that had to deal with the uh, with the transgressions of Ray Lewis twenty years ago. So and so they don't want to. So they want to keep all troublemakers out of their locker room and out, and out of their organization. And to be honest, who can blame them? Especially especially when they have an opportunity like this to want to go to and possibly win a Super Bowl and dare I say have a have a little bit of a dynasty as we head into the new decade in the, in the twenty twenties. Right? If they have an NFL season, the Ravens are thinking Super Bowl. That's it. The, what's on the Ravens, what's on Harbaugh's mind, what's on Eric DaCosta's mind, what's on the owner's mind, what's on Lamar Jackson's mind is Super Bowl or bust. If we, because Lamar Jackson is a young quarterback who's yet to win a playoff game, their season is a failure if they don't get to play in Tampa in 2021. If they, if they are not playing in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium against the Saints, the 49ers, the Buccaneers, whoever, their season is a failure. They have Super Bowl on their mind. And the Baltimore Ravens, a top-class winning organization that's done, that's done nothing but win in the 24, 25 years they've been a franchise here in Baltimore, they don't want to put up with, with that crap. They don't have time for it. They learn a lesson with Ray Rice. And 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 they're and Earl Thomas is no Ray Lewis, okay? Ray Lewis is a young player. Granny didn't kill those two people, but he was a young player, and he was good. It was good enough of a player that the Ravens, you know what, bit the bullet with with that old murder scenario back twenty years ago in two thousand. Earl Thomas is not a patch on Ray Lewis's ass as a defensive player. Is not. I don't care what he says. I don't care what anybody else says. He is not. He spit up the joint. Compared to seasons past with the Ravens, spit up the joint and embarrass himself in front of America, essentially being, uh, essentially being, uh, 
Derrick Henry's uh, blocking dummy in the playoff game. Was absolutely embarrassed in front of America. And I got him essentially cheating on his, on, on his wife and getting involved in this. Really, Earl? Really? When, when the team's about to go off, if they have the NFL season go off and win a championship, you're fooling you're fool around with this juvenile stuff now? Th- th- this is where we are now? Sleeping with other women, cheating, cheating on our wives with our with our brothers, mind you. This this is what we're doing. If I'm if I'm the Custom, if I'm the Ravens, he w- he he would have been cut right then and there when he released that dopey Instagram video talking about well well you know pray for us we're going through a difficult time this that and the other nonsense. You want Earl? The situation happened in the middle of April. Okay, you released that video in early May. You didn't get ahead of it, and the Ravens had no idea because they had to go out on 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 the internet and look at the video of basically learning and reading the newspapers, TMZ, learning what happened. You didn't get ahead of it. Getting ahead of it, in my ass. You didn't get ahead of it. Getting ahead of it is is when is when the whole situation died down. Pick up the phone, tell Harbaugh, tell DaCosta, tell Bashadi, tell whoever. That, hey, this went down. You'll hear this in the news, this, that, and the other. I apologize. I'll try to do better. I didn't I didn't violate the law. I didn't do any of that. You know, I, you know, I, just just let, let your employers know what went down. So this garbage that I got ahead of it, it's nonsense. And again, if I'm the Ravens and I'm in a situation where the pressure is on now, Lamar Jackson, unanimous MVP, everyone's going to come after him now. He's he's got the tar- he's got a a, a, a a you know a proverbial target on his back. People, their fan base, if they have an NFL season, if we're so fortunate, are expecting Super Bowl or bust for 2020. They they should not have the time nor the tolerance to put up with this foolishness. Earl Thomas, get it. Together. Now. Back after this. Happy 70th birthday to the one and only great Stevie Wonder. Welcome back to Matilda. Jesus, <laughs> I screwed that up. Welcome back to Matilda <laughs> like a TIS podcast. Um, switching gears now as we go to the uh, recap four episodes, episode six, episodes five, six, seven, and eight of uh, this 10-part uh, ESPN uh, docu-series. 
uh, reflecting on Michael Jordan's career in the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls. I'm going to go in order from episodes 5 to uh, to episodes, you know, start at episode 5 and then wrap up with the two previous episodes that aired on Mother's Day. First off, uh, I didn't realize that Michael Jordan didn't care for Nike at first. He wanted to be an Adidas guy, loved Adidas, Adidas this, Adidas that, run DMC. I mean, he lo he loved Adidas, so I didn't realize he was that much in love with Adidas and didn't care for Nike. And his, uh, you know, his mother talked him in, his mother talked him into going and flying out to Oregon and and listening to uh, and listening to their sales pitch. You know, it's like his mother, his mother Dolores was like, you know, you owe it to yourself to go out there and just see what's out there because you never know you might like it. And then Nike made the sales pitch to him and his oak and, and his agent, I believe his name, David Falk, wanted to essentially. Then this is where Michael Jordan was so revolutionary and was such an innovator is that his agent. And Michael wanted to, well, Michael, of course, had to agree with it, of course, but his agent, David Falk, wanted Michael Jordan to essentially be branded and to be an advertising piece and to be marketed like a tennis player or like a golfer. So, and that, you know, Jack Nicholas for, for a perfect example, wanted, you know, to be, to be marketed, you know, ha have his own individual because, you know, golf, of course, is an individual, golf and tennis is an individualized sport. And at that time, uh, and at that time, um, players, and at that time, uh, players that played team sports, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, this, that, and the other, um, they didn't, they didn't get those like exclusive individual, individual, um, endorsement deals up until Michael Jordan and his agent basically wanted to market Michael Jordan as if he were a tennis player or a golfer. And which, which is very, which is very monumental when I think about it, because then you remember how much publicity and how much promotional stuff the 85 bears got. And that wasn't, and that was like, and that was like right after Michael Jordan signed with Nike, got to shoot like right before. Like this is where Michael Jordan's like about to like his brand is about to literally take off. And and of course, Michael Jordan, of course, played in Chicago and he was a rookie in 1984. And the next year in 1985, of course, the, the Bears had their Super Bowl championship and everyone had endorsement deals. Uh, Jim McMahon had, had the Taco Bell and the. And the outrageousness, you know, the scooter commercials, uh, refrigerator Perry had the, had the Coca-Cola commercials, uh, Mike Dicker had the limos and the, and the underwear commercials. And, and I'm trying to think of anything else on the top of my head. Gary Fensick had, had, had the moose commercials. He wore a moose. I mean, I, I mean, everybody, I mean, with, with the Super Bowl shuffle and everything else. I mean, so it it didn't make sense to me till literally like when I was about to like you know start you know start recording the segment it didn't hit me it was like well Jordan with the and then eighty five no wonder eighty five bear so it was, you could see how monumental Jordan was not just to the endorsement deals as far as the basketball players are concerned but athletes of all, of athletes of all different types of team sports and the eighty five Bears ended up 
having the and then the eighty five Bears ended up being one of the beneficiaries of Michael Jordan essentially taking off with uh, with the endorsement deals and the Air Jordan and everything else. And after Nike made the sales pitch, his father basically told him, among other things, you'd be a fool not to sign with Nike, and he did. One thing I was shocked about, though, when he came out with the release of the, uh, of the, uh, how about that, it was a, it was an eagle just flying out, flying past my window, how about that? Um, a peregrine falcon, is my, not an eagle, a peregrine falcon, but it shows you how much I know about nature and wildlife, but I digress. I was shocked that they didn't include the band shoes controversy in a commercial um you know because jordan had hey you know had the had the shoes and they were banned by the nba because i guess they didn't have enough white on them and the predominant and the shoe was predominantly black and red which is the bulls colors but the nba at the time um at the time had um had this rule i guess where where you couldn't have um you couldn't essentially have like too dominant of a color not enough white in the mix i don't know but i was shocked and i was surprised they didn't include the band shoe and the band commercial you know of michael jordan essentially standing standing in like a in a, in a gray background room looking at the camera palming the basketball, dribbling it, palming it, dribbling, and the camera, you know, go, you know, starts at his face, works his way down his body, you know, goes to his legs, and then goes to the shoe, and then they put like a, and then they put, you know, and then they, uh, put the, um, the little black, the little black boxes on, um, on the shoe, you know, saying it was banned by the NBA, but that doesn't mean it's banning you from wearing it. Um and Jordan was fined five thousand a game if he wore if he wore those uh those red and black uh Jordan uh Jordan ones. Um and the and the NBA at the time red and black was much more rebellious than plain black and white. Um and that was uh yeah, so that's the NBA uh for, commissioner was was that was his first year of being the commissioner, David Stern. Um, and Nike and, uh, say that Michael Jordan, you know, we got a letter saying that, that the shoes were in violation of the league's rules and procedures. Um, but I was just shocked in general that the shoe, that the shoe was not featured in, um, that the shoe was not featured in the documentary. You know, it's like because you know you can't talk about the rise of of Air Jordan and his shoes and everything else without without bringing up without bringing up that the shoe was initially banned by the NBA and then have the historic commercial and anything like this. I mean, they had they had the little thing with Spike Lee. It must be the shoes thing with uh, we you know with Spike was interviewed in a documentary, which was surprising. Justin Timberlake was, which was a little weird, but albeit. Um, but they had the little footage of him and Spike shooting the Nike commercials. It must be the shoes. Um, and of course, all things started because Jordan, uh, you know, in his last ever game in 98 at Madison Square Garden, he, um, or at the time it was his last ever game in Madison Square Garden, he of course wore the Jordan 1s and how his feet essentially were 
were swollen and and were bleeding, you know, throughout the entire, you know, throughout the entire game. But he kept them on because he was playing so well in them. Um, that's one thing I took away. Okay, that was the shoes. Um, and also in Jordan, granted, he comes off at, he can come off as a complete thorn in your side. He can come off at times as demanding, rough, tough to take, tough to play with at times. You know, on a day in day out basis, which is granted. I mean, I can see that Jordan was no day at the beach as far as like pushing and dragging his teammates to essentially be better. And if it meant having his foot on foot on your neck, yelling at you, cussing at you, making fun of you, or in Steve Kerr's face or case punching him in his face, then Jordan was going to do that. And you saw how he got emotional. I'm kind of. I'm kind of jumping to like you know jumping to uh, Mother's Day's episodes, but um, but I mean if that's what it took to win, that's what it took to win, and he and he wanted his teammates to essentially be a part of the winning with him. He didn't want to necessarily win by himself. He so he drove his teammates essentially to be better, so they collectively could win as a team. But other than that, Jordan comes off as a. <laughs> As as one of the you know as one of the guys as as a, as a funny I mean he'd he'd get on your nerves you know on the you know in practice but you know after the game or after the game or uh, you know sitting in the trainer's office or sitting you know in the locker room just farting around Jordan is one <laughs> Jordan is one is 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 a, is a funny teammate I mean I don't have like the specific little quotes and little jokes that uh you know that he said throughout the documentary but he he come not only does he come off as one of the guys he is one he's one hilarious teammate I wouldn't or whether it's with uh one thing i do remember wasn't necessarily a quote but at the end of episode uh six was when uh they had uh, when you know when they went out golfing and Pippin is standing outside at standing outside at the front of the bus getting interviewed and Jordan essentially hops on a team bus hops in the driver's seat and honks the horn nonstop telling Scotty shut up with 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 the press get your hot pots on this bus so we so we can go golfing with the tea time so Jordan is Jordan is is, is a hilarious guy him him, you know, tossing the, I forget what it's called, my father told me, I forget what, but, you know, when he was tossing the coins up against the, and I see which one gets closest to the wall, that little gambling game with the security guard, him doing the shrug and everything, hey, Jordan, there were times where Jordan, you didn't want to be around him, but, that, but as many times as Jordan looked like the ultimate worst teammate, he there are just as many times as he as he looks like the greatest teammate because of how funny and how charismatic he was when as when you weren't doing things necessarily basketball on the court related, um. But you also see that you know he was biggest celebrity in the world everywhere he went. You know people Michael Jordan can sign this and and you know how they had such a weight. And how the Bulls had such a wait for tickets and it was long lines lining up in droves at the United Center to see Jordan play. Celebrities showing up at the games. You know, you had Jerry Seinfeld who was basically ignored by Phil Jackson when he was in the locker room with Jordan. That was funny. Um, you had Jerry Seinfeld. You had Sinbad. You had, of course, Prince. You had Prince, of course. I mean... People, especially in 98, you know, because there's speculation, was it ultimately the last dance for Jordan? People showed up, and he was that grab, and and it just shows how much of a star and just how much 
inf- pop culture influence he had on not just the sport of basketball, but just around the world of how popular and just how polarizing he was as 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 a player. I mean, he still is, but Grant Michael Jordan, he's kind of, you know, he's you know he's kind of LeBron James take, takes his spot now. You know, it's Jordan is still Jordan, but you know Jordan isn't playing, and it's been what twenty. It's been what twenty, uh, what twenty-two years? No, not twenty-two years since he's played with the Bulls. Has been coming up on seventeen years since he hung it up for good with the uh, with the Washington Wizards. But um, you know, but you could also see that the media attention annoyed him, with especially with the Sam Smith book coming out and having to answer if he had a gambling problem, was he a poor teammate and. You could see, I mean, this is this is what now in 1992, 1993, how you know having media ultimately questioning him and questioning his character and the gambling problem, this, that, and the other. You could see that it annoyed him and it, and it got to him, and and it's part of the reason why I think not just with the death of his father, of course, and I'll get to that in a bit, but that also was I I believe is part of the reason why he. Is why he stepped away from the games. That the media, that that the media and the nonstop attention, part part. I mean, it wasn't like Jordan. It wasn't like Jordan. You know, grew up with that attention. You know, he he. Had, you, I mean, in the first couple episodes, you say that he had to fight to gain his father's respect and attention from you know from one of his other brothers. I mean, and and. You know, Jordan grew up in, you know, he's, I mean, no matter how big Michael Jordan is, he's still like, you know, he's still a little bit of a country boy at heart. You know, he didn't, gr- he didn't grow up in Charlotte, he didn't grow up in New York, he didn't grow up in Chicago, he didn't, he didn't grow up in Miami, he didn't grow up in L.A. He grew up in the middle of, you know, grew up in the countryside of North Carolina. And, you know, that little, in that countryside of him, you know, that likes to be alone, with him and his thoughts at times was was aggravated because of the nonstop attention he got, whether it be from fans, whether it be from the media, whatever the case might be. So I mean, if people say you know you wanted to be like Mike, but when you really have to think about all the attention at the time back in the '90s that he attracted, you after a while you kind of you you kind of get annoyed and you kind of get sick of it, you know. So I mean, what would you like to? You know, it it has it has. I mean, not just Michael Jordan, but if you're a major celebrity of any kind, whether it be Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, Prince, Elvis, Babe Ruth, uh, Tom Brady. I mean, you, you, I mean, the Beatles. I mean, you, you pick your poison. It it has its plus and it has its minuses, no doubt. Um, let's see. Anything else I took I took away from it? You saw that they had the episode dedicated to Kobe. In the '98 All-Star Game, him trying to talk about you know stopping a Laker boy, Kobe had the had the great quote. When you heard fans saying, "Hey, you," this is Kobe Bryant saying it on the Last Dance, when uh, he said, "When you heard fans saying, hey, Kobe, you would beat Michael one-on-one,' and I feel like, yo, where do y'all get this from? You get what you get from me is what you get from him. You get my five championships with the Lakers from Michael Jordan, which honestly, that is like that assassin's bullet nature that." Michael Jordan had Kobe Bryant is the only NBA player since Kobe Bryant is the only NBA player since Jordan that's had that assassin's bullet like quality. LeBron James doesn't have it. You know Kevin Durant doesn't have it. Uh, Kawhi Leonard doesn't have it. 
Kobe is honestly the only the only one to recent memory that had that assassin's bullet and wanted to basically beat you, defeat you, and destroy you like Michael Jordan did. And that was nice seeing them at the 98 All-Star Game in Madison Square Garden. You saw Isaiah was left off the Dream Team because no one liked him. Who cares? I mean, when you when you tuck your head down, and I mentioned, and I mentioned this last episode, when, but when you basically, like a bunch of, Pathetic cowards and punks. You walk off the court, game's not over. You don't shake their hands after you basically, after you basically were a pain in their ass for back back two years, and they finally get the best of you, and you get up at the end of, at the end of the you know you've lost. They move on. You're eliminated, and you basically tuck your head down like a little sh- like a shrewd punk and walk off the court like that well Isaiah should expect us to see what was coming I could care less if it still bothers him I could care less what Isaiah Thomas thinks you act like that you deserve what you get and I have no sympathy for Isaiah Thomas whatsoever he's an absolute clown and he deserved to get left off the dream team that's, that's just bottom line and you saw that Pippen and MJ were determined to basically destroy Jerry Krause, who was head over heels in love with Tony Kuchoch. He was he was great. He was this could be the next you know could be the next Michael Jordan. This that and the other. And Jordan and Pippen were like they hate Krause already, especially I and mean, they they didn't none of them liked Krause. So they were like, well, we'll show Krause. We'll go out there and basically hold Tony Kuchoch to you know to as a as Charles Barkley likes to put it, a triple single, and 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 we'll prove to uh, and we'll prove to Jerry Krause that we are still that we are still the bad boys in town, and don't you forget it. So that so that was interesting. Um, and him essentially covering up Reebok with the American flag was funny too. Um, and as we move, you know, move into the '90s, you see that the Knicks took the place of the Pistons as the Bulls challenge in the Eastern Conference with Pat Riley. Uh, Ewing and James Starks and company, how they basically would give the Bulls fits and essentially were the uh, were the quote unquote bad boy Pistons to the Bulls per se back in the uh, you know in in the uh, early mid nineties. So uh, took that away from it. Um, Michael's Atlantic City getaway. Did he have a gambling problem? Um. For me, coming off of a playoff loss, I wouldn't have gone out to Atlantic City and gambled. It wasn't the fact that it was the gambling that bothered people. It was the fact that he basically went out, you know, went out after the game, after a loss, and then and then come back until after midnight. That that was that was very. I mean, if you were a uh, a Bulls fan, you you didn't like that. So and he and I don't think he has a gambling problem. He. Th- I mean, it's kind of hard to take him seriously when he's getting envy with Hamad Rashad's sunglasses on. But I don't think Jordan had a gambling problem. Gambling problem, like you said, is when you're like, you know, gambling your cars, gambling your deeds to your house. When you start being a little mates like that, you know, that that's when, that's when you legitimately have a problem. But then again, he's but then again, he's Michael Jordan. I mean, if it, my Michael Michael sixteen hundred dollars to Michael Jordan. Is is me betting sixteen dollars? I mean, if he if he's betting fifty grand, I'm be, I'm betting I'm betting uh, I'm betting five dollars. So it's not exactly um, it's not exactly money that uh, Michael Jordan had a problem of replacing because he made money 
hand over fist with the shoe deals, the Gatorade, the McDonald's. All you know, he made he made so much money. He had money he could gamble. He had money that he could burn. I mean, I don't know about. And my sister brought up an interesting argument. When you have like a lot of money that you that you when you have so much money that you don't know what to do with, what's your initial reaction? Well, you try you gamble with it and you basically like want to spend it and you want and you, and you know you want to get rid of it to a certain degree. And you know, back when I was like in back when I was in middle school. And I would, you know, I'd walk, I'd be walking around like a hundred dollars, fifty dollars, seventy-five. You know what I did? I gambled. I gambled on. Uh, I gambled. I when I would play video games, I lot joined with the golf. I, I'd bet on that, you know. And if I lost, I'd, you know, if I lost, <laughs> like me, me and Jordan, <laughs> we never paid back. But if we won, you know, we 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 get we you know we gain and we got some money back, you know. And and if it was sports. You know, if I, I'd, I'd pay, you know, bet five dollars, bet a dollar, bet fifteen, bet twenty, bet fifty, bet thirty-five. You know, so I it's the back when I was in middle school, I gambled on sports and I gambled when I played video games. You know, like Jordan when he bets on when he bets on himself when he plays golf. So you know, we that's you know, so I can understand. And that was an interesting point my sister brought up. When you have money, part of you wants to like gamble with it or fool with it or spend it just because you don't want to be engulfed in so much money that you that you have no idea what to do with. So I, so I can understand that, and I don't think Jordan had a gambling problem. I just think that Jordan had you know Jordan just liked to gamble. That's all it was, and it was overhyped, and it was overly, and it was and it was made too much of a big deal simply because he was Michael Jordan and the people that he should have known better than to be gambling with, but it was the people that he was with and it was because it was Michael Jordan. And that's basically what it comes down to. Um, and then you hear about your father. Then I'm into the, this, and now I'm into episodes seven and eight of, and now I'm into episode seven and eight that aired on Mother's Day. Um, you know, and it was, and it's a complete disgrace that people had the nerve and had the gall and had the audacity to link his father's death with Jordan's game. Enough with the damn game. The guy likes to gamble, all right? Get off his back. Gee whiz. He's he's Michael Jordan. He's a grown man. He's got he's making millions of dollars hand over fist. He can do what he wants. And the idea that his father's death has something to do with his gambling, quote-unquote, problem is absolutely asinine, completely unfair, and disrespectful to Michael. Just the way it is. And I think, like I said, the media not shutting up about the about the about the damn gambling, and the media basically being on this case about is Jordan a great teammate, this that, and the other, and his father passing away, and not to mention having to play all those games, you know, including traveling abroad to play in the Olympics, it it, it took a toll on Michael. He needed a break, and that, and that's why he retired. He 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 flat out simply needed a break. He needed a break, and to be quite honest, who the hell can blame him? I w- I would have needed a break. I would I would have needed a break. Who can blame him? I I I honestly I would have needed a break. And his father having an influence on him. You know, wanting him to play baseball and baseball, like of many, was his first passion. So you know what he does? You know, Ryan Storff owns the White Sox. I'm gonna give baseball a try. And now I refuse to. Now I think Jordan. I think Jordan as a 
as a baseball player, granted, okay, he hit 202 double A. He hitting 202 double A ball. It's hard for me to believe that that you would have been a, a decent a decent pitcher, especially playing in the 90s, going up against Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens, um, David Wells, um, Mike Mussina. And I mean, and those are just the pitch, and those are just the uh, top pitchers back in the '90s, off the top of my head. But I find it hard to believe that Michael Jordan, who's a 202 hitter in Double A ball that couldn't hit the curveball, was go- was going to go on to the major leagues and essentially be one of and be essentially an All Star. That at 31 years of age, and now it's impressive how basically he didn't. He last played baseball at 17, picked it up at 31, and hit 200. That, you know, hit at least 200, that I find impressive. But the idea that Michael Jordan was, you know, if he wanted to be a fit and if he played during a 94 strike, he was going to be a, pretty much an all-star an all-star baseball player. That, I think, is a little bit overrated and a little bit overblown, but that's just me. Um, And you saw the Bulls adjusting to life after Jordan. You know, you know, and how they played well that first, you know, and how they played well that first year without him. They struggled the second season without him, and then Jordan had to essentially come back and drag them out of the abyss where they got beat by a Magic, which I didn't, I didn't have to see it during the during the last dance. I saw the this Magic moment thirty for thirty on that Friday night, and I, you know, and I saw Horace Grant getting hoisted on the shoulders and. And beating Chicago in the uh, you know in Chicago's building, and that looks more like forty five, not twenty three. Quote and this, and that, and the other. So I so I already knew that going in because I've seen uh, the this Magic Moment documentary on the uh, early nineties Orlando Magic with Shaq and Penny Hardaway. Um, but you know, and uh, but back to the Bulls. Um, Scotty taking himself out the game was absolutely indefensible. Um, I hate it if I was live then and I saw it, I would hate it. I mean, you're the leader of the team, no Jordan. Your teammates look to you as the leader and to basically galvanize games on line. It's the playoffs, and you get mad and throw a hissy fit because Phil Jackson doesn't drop a play for you, he draws a play up to Ku Coach, who you saw. You know, and it's just a great job done by Jason Hare and the film making crew of that documentary of how they essentially and they queued up all the last second shots. The um the uh Tony Kukoc made that season to win the game. And for Scotty Pippen to basically throw a hissy fit and cry like a little baby, Well I'm not getting the ball, so I'm just sitting on the bench and pout. I mean that that is tough to take and that and that's hard to root for and that's hard to basically uh, fathom with if you know if you are if you are a, a fan of fan or a person of interest with uh, Scotty Pippen as a player. I mean, come on, really, Scotty? It's the playoffs. Team looks to you as a leader and you flip out because the last play isn't drawn up for you and it's designed for Ku Coach instead. Scotty, grow up and grow up have a grow grow up grow a spine and have a pair of balls and 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 deal with it will you please i mean i i know i know i'm i know i'm like speaking like past tense like it already happened but i of course wasn't alive you know when this was happening but if i was doing sports talk back in the 90s that's what i'd say scotty 
terrible job, bad job, you don't do that. Grow up and show some nuts, okay? You don't take yourself out the game in a playoff series without Michael. You're the number one there, and all your teammates look to you for leadership. That's that, And because you didn't get the ball. Because the last play isn't drawn up for you to get the ball. That's an absolute joke and a, and a disgrace. That that that's a joke. Really, really, Scotty. Real that that that's pathetic. And then the idea that he's essentially crying in the locker room and apologizes yet is asked right there. Well, would you change a thing? No, I wouldn't change. Well, Scotty, whoa. Okay, then it makes it seem like that your apology in the locker room with the tears was all an act, and essentially it was you basically pulling their leg and being manipulative. Because no one cries in front of their teammates and says, I'm sorry, after they had just won the game. And then turns back 20 plus years later and is like, you know what, you know what, screw this. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. Which one is it, Scotty? Make up your mind. Um, and then if Jordan returns. I touched on that already. Um, they basically saved their season in 1995. Yeah, 1995. Um, Jordan as an ultimate teammate and as an ultimate leader, you heard the quote, um, with Jordan, not, not the one where he tears up and he says break, but when he says, and this is honestly, and every athlete, especially in the NBA with this, with this asinine, this dopey loge management crap, Kawhi Leonard, I'm talking to you and all you other players that sit up here and want to pull this load management crap on the paying public. This is what Jordan had to say. Okay. The greatest of all time that made it his mission to give the crowd his money's worth you i forget what episode it was but you heard jordan sit up there and say well this could be which mccollum's you know first ever time watching me in person or first ever time watching the game of basketball so i'm gonna play like it's literally my last game or play like i have even if i have nothing to prove the opponent i'm still give 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 the paying public in the stands and people watching on television i'm gonna give them my best and i respect that and i love that to the moon and back about michael jordan he said this quote if you sit down if you're going to sit down and watch me for three hours i have an obligation to give you my best all the time NBA players with this loge management crap. I, I, don't, I don't think you heard that. Y'all, every single one of these players in the NBA should have that quote on repeat, especially with this coronavirus stuff and you not being able to play. I don't want to hear anything. When the world eventually gets back to normal and we're back playing basketball games on a night in, night out basis, I don't want to hear any more of this, and especially after these documentaries came out, I don't want to hear any more crap about this load management because that's, that's a bunch of hogwash and it's a pile of crap. Audience, fans, all over the country, they fly in, they build vacations, they build their day to watch and take time and make it an obligation out of their day to sit down for two and a half, three hours to watch you play basketball. Damn it, get on the court and give them your best and give them your very all. I can, you're professional athletes, okay? You have plenty of time to recoup, rest, and recover. That, 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 that's, that, that's why that load management, load management stuff is tough to take with the players today. Um, losing to the Knicks in, 90, in 94, of course, because the Knicks ended up, and this was without Jordan, they ended up going to uh, the Knicks, of course, ended up going to the finals in 94 and losing to uh losing to the Houston Rockets and Lajuan and uh and company. Um uh touched on losing to the Magic in ninety five. 
Steve Kerr in the fight. And then I'll end the segment with this. It was such a touching feeling to see Michael Jordan in 96 playing his first ever NBA final. All the other finals up until 96, Jordan's father was right there. 91, he was right there with him. 92, he was right there with him. 93, he was right there with him. It being the first ever NBA Finals without his dad that without his dad there that Jordan won. And you can just see Jordan going into that room with the ball in his hand, just weeping and just that sobbing. You all know when you get that <laughs> when you get like that hyper when you hyperventilate when you go <laughs> like when you like when when you go <laughs> like like he like he was like wailing bawling crying. Not not to say that there's anything wrong with it, but you I mean crying like a baby. And he's just sitting there winning NBA Finals after you know on Father's Day with it being his first championship he won since his father died. I mean that 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 was pretty special. It's pretty special. About thirty five minutes on four episodes of The Last Dance. Not bad. Take a break. Come back. I'll break down this NFL uh, schedule for twenty twenty. Back. The Antelicatius Podcast. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to my Tell Like a T.I.S. podcast. Keep it up with Stevie Wonder Music here on his 70th birthday today. Um, switching gears now back to the National Football League as we got some issues as far as the, uh, the, uh, the 2020 NFL schedule is concerned. The NFL stuck with their gun. They postponed it. Uh, they postponed the schedule releasing for a month because of the uh, coronavirus, but it didn't stop them. And, you know, there's talk of maybe a second wave coming. It didn't stop the NFL from releasing, at least for the moment, their final 16-game schedule for the year 2020. So, um, as we get to it, um, you know what, I'm going to do the, let's do the national TV televised schedule. Well, first of all, let me give you my thoughts. Um, so it looks like the NFL, never mind. Um, I'll get, yeah, I'll do, I'll do the national ones first. Um, so as, so let's do Sunday night first. Um, the kickoff game is going to be Kansas, is Kansas City and uh, Houston, a rematch of the divisional playoff game. Back in back in January, um, they didn't want to do Kansas City. Baltimore is week three, and they didn't want to do that. And Kansas City does not play New England until week four, so they didn't want to give you Jared Stidham for the kickoff game either, and they didn't want to give you Brady 
because they are on the road to play Brady and not at home. So uh, so they're going to give you Houston and Kansas State for the kickoff game. That's Thursday, September 10th. Dallas and the Rams open up the new stadium. I'm down on that. Again, the A, I don't think the Rams are, are going to be that good this year. B, their new logo stinks. C, their new uniforms stink. Uh, D, their quarterback and Jared Goff stinks. E, their head coach is overrated. And F, I'm sick and tired of seeing the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football, and they didn't even make the playoffs last year. So week one <clears throat> will not cut it on my uh, standards. Week two, Sunday Night Patriots and the Seahawks. Um, rematch Super Bowl 49, of course, but it doesn't have the same oomph and aura as it has because, for the most part, all of the key components of that game are gone. Gronk is gone. Brady's gone. Lynch is retired again. Cam Chancellor's not there. Earl Thomas is not there. Doug Baldwin is not there. Um, who else? Richard, Richard Sherman is not there. So, and, and I know, I mean, my brother will love it getting a chance at, to get at Belichick again. But, I mean, the key components of that of that Super Bowl are not Malcolm Butler, who made the game-winning play. He is no longer on the New England Patriots. So, the game doesn't have that same oomph and aura as it did when these two played each other five years ago in New England in, in 2015. That's the Week 2 game. That game will be in Seattle on September the 20th. Green Bay against the Saints uh, should be, that's a good game, September 27th, no problems with that, week three. Week four, Eagles and 49ers, not bad. Uh, Vikings and Seahawks, again, we done seen Vikings, and this is now the third year in a row we're going to see Vikings and Seahawks. I'm not interested in Seattle and, and the Vikings. I grant both teams made the playoffs, but I, I don't need to see. It's bad enough to give us back-to-back yields on Monday night. We got to see Seattle. We got to see Minnesota in, and Seattle in Seattle on national TV again. Week, week five now. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, enough with the Vikings and the Seahawks. Will you please? Enough. Uh, week six, Rams and Rams and 49ers. Again, Rams, I don't think are going to be that good, and there's nothing and there's nothing attractive, physical or in the football sense, about Jared Goff, and I don't need to see those hideous Rams uniforms. Uh, so so that's out, week eight, week six. Week seven, Buccaneers and Raiders. Raiders were one of the worst teams in the National Football League last year who stunk and spit up the joint. Absolutely awful. Okay, and I don't give a damn about about the, about the dopey stadium in Las Vegas, especially if there's not going to be any fans. So that's out. Um, week eight, Cowboys and Eagles. All right, fine. They fought out for the division. Both teams be interesting in 2020. That's fine. Week nine is good. Saints and Buccaneers. Week ten, Patriots and Ravens. Again, same thing. There's no Brady. No one wants to see Jared Stidham. And the Patriots might might be sitting there at at two and seven by the it might be sitting there at two and seven by the time week ten comes around. 
Week 11, Chiefs and Raiders. Again, I don't need to see the Raiders and have them show off the dopey stadium, okay? The team stinks. They won't be that good this year. John Gruden, as a coach, is so stuck in 2002. Mike Mayock doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I don't need to see the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday Night Football. Enough of the Raiders. Thanksgiving. Ravens and Steelers. Not bad, but the Steelers I don't think will be that good anyway. And if Ben Roethlisberger blows out his elbow again, that game will be a wash. So that's out. Week 12, Bears and Packers. The Bears, they don't... No, I mean, it's okay. It was nice for week one at the kickoff of the NFL's 100th season with the two oldest franchise, one of the two oldest franchises in the sport. But enough of the, of the Bears and the Packers, please. That's out. Uh, week 13, Broncos and Chiefs. The Broncos will not are not a playoff team under any stretch of the imagination. I don't need to see them on Sunday Night Football, so that's out. Uh, week 14, Steelers and Bills. We saw this last year. We need to see it again. Uh, enough for Josh Allen, please. And Steelers outside of Juju Smith-Schuster are not that interesting. I'm sorry. And, ben, and an overweight ben, and an old shot of Ben Roethlisberger, week 14. So that's out. Week 15, San Francisco and Dallas. Okay, I'll live with that. All right, fine. December 20th, the Sunday before Christmas. Week 16, uh, week 16, the last Sunday of 2020. Titans and Packers, eh. If if the Titans are a playoff team, eh, I guess. But the overall Sunday football schedule, I I, I give it a, a C plus. Okay, I don't I don't like the idea that they're giving us the Raiders. I, mean, I don't like the idea that they're giving us the Raiders twice. I don't like the idea that they're giving us Denver, and I don't like the idea that they're giving that they're giving us the Rams more than they should. The Rams I don't think will be that good, and no one gives a crap about the Raiders' dopey stadium. Enough. Enough enough of the Las Vegas Raiders, okay? Monday Night Football. Okay, week one, they get, with the double dip, they give us the Steelers and the Giants. Really? Ben Roethlisberger, once again, who was shot. They have no superstar on that team. And no one wants to see Daniel Jones play on Monday Night Football. Uh, that's out. No Eli Manning. So you can't even give me the Eli versus Roethlisberger stuff. So so that so that's out. I'm not not I'm not buying that one either. Titans and Broncos. I don't know what is the fascination of putting the Broncos on Monday Night Football with the second. Uh, the, the Von Miller's gone. Peyton Manning hasn't played there in five years. I'm not interested in in uh, in, in their in their quarterback. I forget what his name is, but I'm not interested in him either. Okay, week one is a crapshoot. Week week two, I give them props that they're putting the game on ABC for the first time in 15 years. But again, enough with the Raiders and the damn new stadium in Vegas. I don't care, especially if there's not going to be any fans in the games because of the coronavirus. I don't care. Enough with the Raiders on national television because of the dopey stadium. Nobody cares. Week three might might be the best one of the year, but if God forbid the season gets cut in half, we and we won't have Ravens Chiefs. The NFL have themselves to blame, but it's a good matchup. I give I give it to them. Um, week four, Falcons and Packers. Who thinks the Falcons going to be any good? I sure don't. So that's out. Chargers and Saints. Who thinks the Chargers will be any good? With uh, with Justin Herbert at quarterback, I don't. So that's out. Week six, 
with the Cardinals, who should be better, but they're no playoff, but they're not a playoff team yet. So that's out. Week seven. Enough with the enough with the Bears. Enough with the Rams. The game stunk on Saturday night in twenty eight in twenty nineteen in Los Angeles. It stunk in twenty eighteen when they played in Chicago, and it's gonna stink again. Week seven, late October on Monday night. Enough with the Rams in the dopey stadium. Golf stinks. The Bears, Trubisky stink. Enough with the Bears and enough with the Rams. Thank you. Week eight. I'm getting. I'm getting more pissed off as I'm going along these schedules. Week eight. Buccaneers and Giants. No one. No one cares about the about the dopey New York Giants with uh, with uh, with Danny Dimes. I'm not interested. Next week nine. Patriots and Jets with Jared Stidham at quarterback and the Gi- and the Jets that find new ways to lose football games and Sam Flarnold. Un- Next, enough. Vikings and Bears, enough with the damn Bears on Monday Night Football. Next. Again, here we go. Rams at Tampa, enough with the Rams and their dopey new uniforms, okay? Goff stinks. Gurley isn't on the team. McVay is an overrated pretty boy who likes screwing around with with Ukrainian supermodels that speak 15 words of English. Enough. Next. Week 12, Seahawks and Eagles. Fine, I give you that. Week 13, Bills and San Francisco. I give you that. Week 14, Ravens and Browns will only be interesting if Baker Mayfield and the Browns step up to the plate this year. But but uh, you know, by default, that one's okay. And I don't love Steelers and Bengals, two teams that'll be dead in the water come December. I know Joe Burrow and, trust me, I love... But the, I bet I'm reasonable, okay? The Bengals are nowhere near a playoff team. Six, five, six, seven wins is their season. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I love Bengals, and I am excited for the new era with Joe Burrow. But I don't need to see them and, and see them playing the Steelers. Vontez Perfect isn't involved. Antonio Brown's off the team. Ben Roethlisberger, old, fat, and shot as a quarterback. I don't need that week 15. Week 16, I don't again. No one gives a crap about Jared Stidham against the Buffalo Bills to close out Monday Night Football. So that's a wash. Uh, Thursday Night Football, they're getting me more pissed off here. Uh, Bucks, Bucks and Bears, pass. Week 6, Chiefs and Bills, that's fine. Week 7, Giants and Eagles, no thank you. Week 8, Falcons and Panthers, snooze fest. Week 9, Packers and and 49ers against so we can see the 49ers beat the Packers 59 to nothing for the third time in 13 months. No thank you. Colts and Titans week 10 snooze. I'm going to bed. Good night. Week 11 Seahawks and Cardinals. No thank you. Week 13 at the Thursday after Thanksgiving. Cowboys and Ravens. I'll give you. Week 14 Patriots and Rams at the damn stadium again. Pass. Week 15, Chargers and Raiders again. No thank you. Week 16, Vikings and Saints on Thanksgiving Day, whatever that is. I'll I'll take. But enough of the freaking Rams and the and the and the Bears and the Raid. Enough of those freaking teams on national television. No, enough of the Khalil Mack show. He's not. He's not Lawrence Taylor. Okay. Enough of the Rams. Their their new uniform stinks. Their logo stinks. Their coach is overrated. The quarterback stinks. They they themselves will stink. 
they have they had no they have no first round draft picks for the next three to five years. Enough of the Rams. No one gives a crap about the about the Raiders' dopey stadium. They stink, and John Gruden stuck in two thousand two. I'll pass. Enough of the Rams. Enough of the Raiders. Enough with the Patriots and Jared Stidham, and enough of the Packers. Or excuse me, not the Packers. Enough of the Bears. Enough of the Bears. Thanksgiving, he gives Houston and Detroit Redskins at Dallas and at Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Those are your Thanksgiving games. And the big games on CBS. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you to them. I'll give them to you. Um, Baltimore and Houston, 425, September 20th. New England, Kansas City, October the 4th. Giants at Dallas, October 11th. San Francisco at New England. And Kansas City at Denver, the 25th of October. Pittsburgh at Dallas, uh -uh. November the 8th. Kansas City and Tampa Bay will be great, November the 29th. Um, the Eagles and Green Bay will be good. Patriots and Chargers, no thank you. Kansas City at New Orleans will be great. But I, uh, but the, and those are the national games for CBS. Um, if you want me to go break down the schedules right quick, um, Ravens have an easy schedule not by default. It wasn't like the NFL like tried to, you know, give them a favor. But granted that they have to play the NFC South. Granted they had two. Granted that a uh, they um. The two playoff teams came out the AFC South. That's not the most dominant division in football, things being considered. Of course, they had to play their own division. They gave them Kansas City. They gave them the Patriots with no Brady. And they played the NFC East. That's very up in the air every single season. I have no gripes with that. And think about this, though. The Ravens go... Here, let's break this down for a minute. They are... Listen to this four-week span. Or this five-week span. They're home on Monday night against Kansas City, the 28th. On they they literally can walk to Landover, Maryland, jump on the highway to go to Landover to play the Redskins on the fourth. Come back home to play the Bengals on the eleventh. Play the you know take a bus ride up to Philly to play the Eagles and come back home to play the Steelers. So so the Ravens. They play two. They play two road games in the month of October, where they don't even have to hop on a flight. They can take a. They can. They can literally travel. Travel to. Uh, they can travel to Washington that that Sunday morning, and they can and they can leave for Philly on on a Saturday night. Uh, you know, sat the uh, Saturday night prior to the 18th. So that's the Ravens' schedule. Uh, Bengals, right quick. They play. They have two. Primetime games, of course, that matching that they play Steelers on Monday night, and they play the Browns week two on Thursday night, play the East, they play the South, and, of course, division opponents. Um, the Rams, cause God, because we should be head over heels in love with this with this dopey stadium, uh, home against the Cowboys, back-to-back -back on the East Coast against the Eagles and the Bills, home against the Giants, home against the Redskins, home against the 49ers, home at Jesus... No wait, hold on. I read that wrong. Um, they're at they're at the 49ers, at the Redskins, home against the Bears, at the Dolphins, and then before that they're at the Eagles, at the Bills, back to back on the East Coast, 
home against the Redskins, home against the Giants, and have to fly back out east to play the Redskins. Bye week is week nine. They are home against the Seahawks at Tampa Bay, home against San Francisco at the Cardinals, home against the Patriots, home against the Jets at Seattle, and home against the Cardinals. Seahawks, they are at Atlanta to start the season. Home back-to-back against the Patriots and the Cowboys at Miami on the East Coast. Home against the Vikings at Arizona. Home against the uh, home against uh, San Francisco. The commissioner contacted Seahawks because they because this straight you'll see why because they have to go to the East Coast to play Buffalo and then go back to and then and then go back out west to uh, go back out west to play the Rams. No, I don't think that's it. No, what's no? I got it wrong. They're home here. Here we go. Week uh, week eleven. They're home against the Cardinals. Have to fly east to Philadelphia, and then come and then come back home. So the NFL contacted them. Seahawks don't mind it. They had like one of the best records in football as far as West Coast teams playing on the East Coast. But they're at the Bills, at the Rams, home against the Cardinals, at the Eagles, home against the Giants and the Jets, at. At um at the Redskins, home against the Rams, and at San Francisco to close out the season. Um, let's see. Um, I give you the two. I give you the two Super Bowl teams, and before that, I give you the Buccaneers. Um, let's see. Okay. All right. So they are at the Saints, home against. Okay, they for the record. The wow, we, CBS loses out here with Brady. I mean, the only way the only way they're going to get Brady twice. No, wait, yeah, they never mind. They have Brady. Okay, so the two CBS games, so so Nance and Romo can wax poetic over Brady and Gronk again, is Week Four when they're home against the Chargers, and then Week Twelve when they play the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. And those are the only two CBS games. Well, actually, they have a third one. Um, they play Jacksonville at home August the 22nd. So three CBS games um, all in all. Um, but they are at the Saints, home against the uh, <clears throat> home against the uh, Panthers, at the Broncos, home against the Chargers, at the Bears, home against the Packers, back-to-back road games on primetime television, at Vegas at the Dopey Stadium for Sunday night, and then they go to the Meadowlands for a Monday night game week eight. Home against the Saints on Sunday night. At the at excuse me at the uh, Panthers week ten. Home against the Rams on Monday night. Um, late game on CBS against the uh, against the Chiefs bye week week thirteen. December the thirteenth they're home against the Vikings back to back on the road. Um, between the Falcons at the Falcons and at the Lions, week fifteen and sixteen, week seventeen to close out at home against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Forty ers they are home against the Cardinals, at the Jets, at the Giants. So they do the back to back in the Meadowlands, saves them the travel. Um, at, uh, home against the Eagles on Sunday night. Home against the Dolphins, they play three home games in a row, week four through six. Home against the Eagles, home against the Dolphins, home against the Rams on Sunday night. At the Patriots, at the Seahawks, home against the Packers on Thursday night. 
at the Saints, at the Rams, home against the Bills on Monday night, at uh, home against the Redskins, on the road against Dallas on Sunday night, at Arizona, home against the Seahawks to end up the season. Last one, Chiefs, the Super Bowl champions. Um, I mentioned they have the kickoff game at home against Houston. They go on the road to play the Chargers in the Dopey Stadium um, in Los Angeles. Week three, they come to Baltimore to play on Monday night. Um, week four, they're home against the Patriots. Week five, they're in Vegas at their Dopey New Stadium. Um, week uh, six, they are at Buffalo. Uh, week seven, they are at Denver. Week six, or excuse me, week eight, they're home against the Jets. Week nine, they're home against the Panthers. Week 11, they're at the Raiders, Dopey Stadium. Week five, they're home against the Raiders. Week 12, they're at Tampa Bay. Week 13, they're home against Denver. Week 14, they go to Miami. Week 15, they go to the Bayou. Um, week 16, they go to Atlanta. Or excuse me, they're home against Atlanta. And week 17, they are home against the, not the San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers. So, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the I'm Tell You this podcast. Good show today. Be back with you in a couple of days this upcoming weekend. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Uh, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor the Works. Follow me on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatelon underscore it is. Share it with your friends and family. Stay safe. Talk to y'all this weekend. Take care.